You are listening to the Lakeview Podcast from Lakeview Baptist Church in Lacey Lakeview, Texas. Worship with us on Sundays at 1045 at 125 North Bermuda Avenue in Waco, Texas, or find us on the web at facebook.com slash lbc.laceylakeview. If you're going on a trip, you're going to need to bring something with you just to be safe. If it's a little trip, if you're just going up to the store to get a loaf of bread or a carton of eggs, you'll probably at least bring your keys and your phone in case something happens, maybe your wallet, hopefully your driver's license. But if you're going on a bigger trip, you'll have to bring a little more because the longer you go and the different places that you go are going to expose you to different risks, different dangers. And like good Boy Scouts, you're going to want to be prepared. Uh, a camping trip is especially uh, that kind of trip that's going to put you in all sorts of dangers and hazards for which you're going to need to be prepared. Ben and I spent at least 24 hours, I mean, together we spent a couple of times. We spent a good bit of time getting everything together for our youth camping trip. And we were going to a fairly tame place up there on Lake Whitney. There's no lions and tigers and bears, um, although who knows. Uh, but we wanted to be prepared, and so in addition to the things you always need to survive, like food and water and something to cook on, things like that, we had to bring uh, extra blankets for the little youth so they wouldn't freeze their little toes off, although some of them might have, because you're exposed to the danger of the cold when you're taking a camping trip. We had to bring tents to not only keep the bugs out, and there were plenty up there by Lake Whitney, uh, lots of spiders of every kind, uh, but also a rain fly in case it rained, and it did rain for about five minutes. We had to bring sunscreen, which we didn't bring, and of course uh, now all the youth are sunburned. Uh, we did think to bring bug spray so the youth wouldn't be eaten up. Uh, we thought to bring a couple of medical necessities, which we ended up needing, an axe to chop the wood, you name it. Uh, all sorts of things that at home, if you were staying on your couch, if you weren't taking a journey, risks that you wouldn't be exposed to now, all of a sudden you're out there in the wild and you got to be prepared. You got to have some protection, some preparedness along with you for this journey. The prayer that Sandra just read for us from Psalm 121 reads like a prayer for people who are going to need help, for people who are going to be in danger, who are going to be at risk, for people who are going to be called to make a journey from one place to another that's going to, by default, be very difficult. When you're sitting on the couch, watching TV, eating Cheetos, your thought is probably not... I I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come from, right? When things are going well, when you're successful and relaxing with Kool-Aid in your hand, you're probably not looking around wondering where is your help going to come from. But when you're surrounded and life seems like it's pushing in on every side and you're one mistake or one bad thing away from disaster, when you're lost, 
and you don't know what's the next step to take, and you can't know because you're walking in unfamiliar territory, when you're afraid because you're being exposed to risks and to forces and to dangers that you'd rather not, when you're uncertain, when you're literally in the imagery of the Psalms, stuck down in this valley without a prayer, without a chance, without help, all by your lonesome, and you lift up your eyes to the hills and look around and say, where is my help going to come from now? You'd be like Abraham and Sarah, wouldn't you? I'm sure they felt like that more than once or twice on their journey. The two times that Abram got himself and his wife into a bind with a local ruler, if you remember that, by lying and having them basically kidnap, or if you want to say he gave away his wife. The times when years had gone by and God's promise of a child had not seemed to have been fulfilled, or after he had fulfilled it for himself and got himself and his family into a big mess, or when God asks him to go up on the mountain and after finally fulfilling the promise of a son, threatening or commanding him to give it back. I'm sure he felt surrounded. I'm sure he lifted his eyes up to the hills and said, what am I going to do? Where's my help going to come from? And that's been the case for God's people on God's journey ever since. It was the case for Moses and Israel. They got themselves into all sorts of binds. God led them into some binds from which only he could deliver them, but then they stumbled their way into more than a few of their own making. And believe it or not, although we're pretty comfortable this morning here in this building compared to some believers around the world, you and I are on that kind of journey with Jesus, called to walk from the safe and the familiar of ourselves and putting ours and our stuff first and walking by what makes sense to us and what makes sense to the world and what feels good and what seems right to us to totally dying to all that being born again and living to a whole new world and a whole new life altogether. And as beautiful as that is, it's scary stuff. If it wasn't scary stuff, old Nicodemus, steeped in the Bible, steeped in God and religion, wouldn't be sitting there dumbstruck when Jesus is trying to explain it to him. That's why Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and to deny ourselves He's calling us to a difficult journey. And in our journey as believers, when we're face to face with our sin, or when God's promises seem like they're not quite coming true, or when, we're, when we come face to face with things that we know the gospel has come to answer, and we're waiting for that answer, if it's death or if it's sadness, or if it's poverty and oppression in our neighborhood, we're going to lift up our eyes and we're going to say, where is my help going to come from? And so this prayer is for us. It's protection for the journey. It's a promise for people who are definitely going to need it. And the prayer is not the desperate cry of somebody who doesn't know where their help comes from. It ends up being what? A rhetorical question. Where does my help come from? Not from the hills from the Lord. God is our keeper. 
God is the one walking alongside us in our journey, not just calling us, not just directing us to the end, but taking us by the hand and walking with us every step of the way. And so we learn in those difficult places when we feel surrounded and lost and afraid, we learn in this psalm and we learn in God's school as His children that our help doesn't come from the hills. The white horse is not about to ride in unless it's the, you know, Jesus on the white horse. I think making a Lord of the Hills reference. Lord of the Hills, Lord of the Rings reference. If that's not tempting to you, if you're not waiting for Gandalf to come and rescue you from your troubles, we also learn that our help doesn't come from insurance or all of the little emergency plans that we make for ourselves, although it's sure good to have those things. I hope you do. Our help doesn't come from money. Our help doesn't come from the connections that we have or the relationships that we have, although those are nice, and my parents and Brittany's parents have bailed us out of one too many mess at this point in our lives. Our help doesn't come from all the helpers that our world offers as helpful as they are. I'm glad there's police. I'm glad that if I call 911, I could be at the hospital in 20 or 30 minutes. Brittany, don't tell me it's actually going to take longer. Good. Sometimes, well, if you live out the ways, watch out. Make sure your address is up there. But your help doesn't come from there. Not your, your true help, huh? Your help comes from the Lord. God's own name. The one we know by name. The one who knows us by name. The relationship of our Father, our brother, our friend, our maker, our creator. The one who made heaven and earth. And we learn as God's children that no matter what life might be throwing at us, we've we've got the Creator. We've got the one who's holding it all together on our side. He's keeping us. The psalm says your foot won't be moved. That's a promise for people on a journey. No matter how rough the path gets or unstable the road might be that you're called to walk on, God's going to keep you firmly planted. Nothing will be allowed to trip you up on this journey that God has called you to walk on. The one who keeps you will not slumber. That word keep is an interesting one. I don't think we use the word keep like this except maybe in romantic terms. Oh, I'll keep you. Or maybe for a puppy. <laughs> right? Can I keep him? I think that kind of gets at what this Hebrew word is about. It's actually the same word that you would use to say you're keeping prisoners. Or you're keeping watch over something. You're guarding something. You're protecting it. You're holding on to it so that nothing will get it. So that means God is the one who's guarding us and protecting us and holding on to us, not ourselves. He will neither slumber nor sleep. Now that seems like an odd promise to make, an odd thing to say. We, of course, 3,000 years removed from when this was first prayed, we don't know a lot about gods who have to eat and who have to sleep, who have to marry and have children and those sorts of things. But of course, that's what most gods back in that day did. But of course, that promise means for us what? That God is always present to us. There's not a moment that goes by that God is not focused on us. God 
is more present to us, God is more present to our situation and to the struggles that we're facing, to the temptations that are surrounding us, than we could ever be. Half the time, I'm distracted. I have to actually sit down and force myself to be present. We have to force ourselves to eat 20 minutes so I can be present to the food in front of me. God is way more present to you than you could ever be to yourself. God is more concerned about keeping you than you could ever be about keeping yourself. And that's a relief to me. I can't keep up with my own personal calendar, let alone the calendar of the church. God is definitely keeping up with my every moment, with every hair on my head. With every day and moment of my life, it's already been written in his book. The psalm says, He is your shade at your right hand. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? Whether it's the sun beating down on you at day or the lonely moon shining down on you at night, there is nothing that can even touch you because God is your keeper. In the best moments of your life when the sun is shining and you're not watching out for the dangers of temptation and death and despair, God is your shade. And when you're struggling in the pit of night and when you're very aware of the things that can get you, either way, God is your shade. So the promise for us, for people on a journey, is that wherever we are on our journey with God, God will keep us. Whatever we might face, it's not too big for God. Whatever difficult step God is asking you to make this morning, and I hope that as we've been considering the last couple of weeks, we've been asking and praying God to show us what it is in our lives He's asking us to change, what we need to repent, or what we need to take up. That's a difficult step to make. God's calling always is. But whatever it is God's calling you to do this very moment, He's not asking you to take that step alone. He's got His hand on you. He's inviting you with Him. Walk the path with me. God is our keeper. But of course, you've heard all that before. I hope you have. I hope this is refreshing, a promise that is dear and near to you. But of course, as we hear all this in this psalm and we think about the journeys that God's people have been called to make or even the ones that we have been walking, sometimes we do ask, does God really keep us? I mean, this psalm, if you read it a certain way with a little bit of naivety or a little inexperience, might make you think, God's going to keep you from every single bad thing that could ever happen in your life, right? The word keep, we could also think of a goalkeeper if you've ever watched a soccer game, right? Surely you know what a goalie is supposed to do. The whole point of the soccer game, at least for the other team, is to get the ball into the net. And whether you knock that thing against the back of the net or it just barely crosses the goal bar, it's a goal. And so what's the goalkeeper's job? If he has to do a somersault, if he has to break his ankle, or smash his face, or put his whole body out there, that goalkeeper is going to do whatever is necessary to keep whatever from going in the goal, right? 
We might think of God as this cosmic goalkeeper, right? God will bend space and time. God will twist other people's lives and other nations' histories around just so nothing bad ever happens to us. Sometimes you might even pray that. I have. God, could you go back in time and make it where I didn't lose my keys? I've literally prayed that before. Anybody ever prayed that? I mean, God could, right? Definitely possible. But does God do that for us? Is God this cosmic goalkeeper who's always keeping the bad things out of our lives? Well, what about all those things that people in this room looking around, every one of us can attest, get to us? What about the things that seem like they get right past God standing as our shade on our right hand? What about sickness and sadness? What about cancer? What about death? What about all the good people of God that we've seen God allow to suffer the most terrible things? Start with Abraham and Sarah. God kept them, but they suffered. They suffered those years without a child. They suffered anxiety and fear and uncertainty and probably real pain just from all the walking on the journey God had them on. Israel sure suffered. I can't think enough, as I've been reading in my, my fun theology reading, every now and then it's, it, my theologian Bart was writing around the Holocaust, and he reads in Romans, in Paul speaking about God's people Israel, that the promises of God are irrevocable. So however we parse that out, there's something still special about God's people and nation that he called in Israel, although we in the church claim that in Jesus, that's the true Israel. But think about not just in the Bible, but throughout history, all the things God's own people have been allowed to suffer. Is God keeping them? And of course, you can think about the things, maybe just in the last year or six months, you've had to suffer. Maybe they were small things in comparison, you might think, to others, but they were real, or maybe they were real big. And of course, God's own Son, who of course must have prayed this psalm numerous times as he was growing up with this Bible that we call the Old Testament, he must have prayed that God is his keeper and God is the one who is his shade and the one who holds him and allows his foot not to stumble and yet... What did Jesus pray as he was dying? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If God's keeping of us means every bad thing that could possibly happen to us is somehow diverted away, well, this promise is a little shaky. But I think we learn from Jesus what this promise really means, don't we? Because at the end of Luke, what did Jesus pray before he died? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God was his keeper. Into your hands, Lord, I I give my life because you've had it to begin with. Even in death, even with the weight of the world's sin and suffering on his back, he trusted God to be his keeper. So maybe God's keeping isn't that God is this goalie batting and kicking and swatting away everything that could get to us, but maybe it's more about God's presence. That God is keeping with us 
and still holding on to us even in the worst that life can throw at us. Or in the suffering that our walk with God is necessarily going to entail. Otherwise, I don't think Jesus would have described it as dying to self and picking up a cross. Even that God will keep us. Maybe God is our keeper because in this journey that we're on, we're going to suffer. And we, when we're suffering, we just need to be held tight. We need to know that God is present with us and in us in the midst of it. Maybe this prayer that Sandra read for us isn't the prayer that you pray when everything's shaken out all right and you're no longer surrounded and lost and confused. Maybe this is the prayer that as you look up and you feel surrounded and you can't see a way out, you still pray because God has taught you that even in those terrible dark places, God's hand is holding on to you as tight as can be. God is our keeper, even and especially when we aren't kept from the worst that life has to offer us, and even when we can't keep ourselves on the path that God asks us to walk, even in our sin. Even even when we fail to believe that God is keeping us, He keeps us. The Lord, the psalmist, it says, will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. I don't think that means that God's going to keep every evil thing from happening to us or even keep us from participating in evil things. But God is going to keep it from overcoming us. Even in the midst of evil, God keeps us. It says, and I love this, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from now until forever. Wherever we might go, We are held by God and our life is trapped on every side like a prison with God's love and grace for us. So if you'd allow me, I'd like to pray through this psalm for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we lift up our eyes to the hills and we ask, where does our help come from? And you've taught us. Our help comes from you, O Lord. You are the maker of heaven and earth. God, we trust that you will not let our foot be moved. You will not let us stumble no matter where you might be calling us as a church to walk. No matter where we might be on our journeys this morning, we feel like we're at a low point or a high point or anywhere in between. You keep us firm in your love. And of course, you don't slumber or sleep. You are present this moment here while we are present to you and you are even just as present when we couldn't think more about when we couldn't think any less about you when we're distracted and we're despairing and we're doubting you are still present lord lord you are our keeper you are the shade on our right hand day or night you keep us in your love god you keep us from all evil you keep our life You keep our going out and our coming in from now until forever. God, I ask if there's anyone this morning who has forgotten this promise, who feels like they've been abandoned by you, they're alone on the journey of their life and the journey of discipleship, that God, you would hold them this morning in your love. 
you would speak your promise to them and they would hear that you hold them still. God, if there's any of us this morning that are afraid to take the next step in our journey with you, if you're calling us to something or to some place and we're, we're afraid because we see our resources and we see the dangers involved and we just think we can't do it, God, would you lead us by your hand and keep us Give us the faith and the boldness and the courage to go with you. God, if there's anyone this morning who's never heard of your faithful keeping, of your protection and your love, that not even death itself can sever, God, would you speak your word into into their lives and begin to hold them this very moment and give them faith to hold back, to clasp your hand in faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.